0: Sermons podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. If you're familiar with your Old Testament at all, then you would know that Israel has a pretty turbulent history. When they move into the time of the promised land, they're ruled by a series of judges and then eventually kings. David comes to power and then his son Solomon. And then after that, the kingdom is divided. It's divided into two different areas. The northern kingdom is referred to as Israel and the southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. Now, as we look closely at Israel's history in the north, we know that they entered into a period where they had poor leadership. Leaders, kings that did not honor God and the, and the people's hearts waned from worshiping Yahweh. God sent messengers and told them to repent or they would experience his judgment, but they didn't listen. And around 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire comes into the northern kingdom and removes every single inhabitant of the region. They were never to be found again. At that time, only the kingdom of Judah remained, but they too would fail as well. After consistently defying God and rejecting the messages of the prophets, the Babylonian empire is used by God as an instrument, of judgment against his people. The Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, and take nearly all of the inhabitants back to Babylon. While in Babylon, the Persian empire takes over, and in due course, God stirs the heart of the ruler of the Persian Empire to allow his people to return back to Judah. And there they begin to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city and surrounding towns. And this is the focus of the Old Testament books, Nehemiah and Ezra. It's also the focus of Malachi. You see, Malachi is the final Old Testament book that we find in Scripture, and it is written at about 430 years before the time of Christ. Now it's hard to really appreciate events that occurred over 2,500 years ago in a nation that is on the other side of the world. So let's recap this really quick and consider Israel's history in kind of a New Zealand context. We know that New Zealand is divided up into two islands, a North Island and a South Island. And let's say in our example that New Zealand is filled with your relatives. Hundreds of years ago, your family was planted here and you began to grow and grow and grow. And so now you have numerous residents or, or relatives that live in both North and South Island. But in this example, let's say you live in the South Island, around uh, your, your closest family. But your extended family in the North Island is much larger. It actually represents 80% of your family or all, 80% of all New Zealand's population. Now, let's say for a moment that your family in the North Island begins to act wickedly and they incur God's judgment and God sends a foreign power to invade the North Island. As they invade, many of your family members are killed. Others are taken away in boats and planes and they are gone in a moment's notice, never to be seen again. 80% of your family is now gone. Let's say that you enter into a period of mourning for your family, but eventually, over a couple generations' time, you and your family in the South Island begin to neglect God and defy Him, and eventually, you're faced with the same judgment. Let's say that another empire, another country, invades the South Island, and as they invade, many of your family members are killed in the process, but nearly every single living person and the South Island, the remainder of your family is loaded up in planes and boats and taken to a foreign land. There, you are experiencing a different culture, a different language, a different religion. And as you live there, another power arises and defeats the country that initially invaded the South Island. And again, you are left to learn a new culture, a new language and new religion. But let's say that this empire allows you to return home. But it's been so long since your family has set foot in New Zealand that many have made a comfortable life for themselves in the foreign land, and so they decide to stay behind. But imagine a large group of your family says, no, we want to return home. And you do. Imagine arriving on the shores of the South Island, and as you get there, you look around you, and you realize that all of the homes and businesses are in shambles. The buildings are worn down. The infrastructure is absolutely ruined. Cars that were parked on the highway during the invasion decades ago are now there and rusting, unmoved. The machinery in your factories is inoperable. It's rusted. The farm gates of, uh, of the different farms have, have fallen to the ground. The fields are overgrown. You witness this scene and you wonder where do we even begin to rebuild? The task seems impossible. You probably feel the weight knowing that what you are viewing is just the shell of a nation that once was. That is the situation in Judah. The return is a decades-long process, and the rebuilding process takes even longer. See, while people are rebuilding Jerusalem and the surrounding towns, God raises up prophets to encourage the people. And at times where they begin to stray, God sends word, go tell my people they need to repent and obey and remain faithful to me. And that's what really brings us to Malachi the prophet. You see, when we open up Malachi, we read these words. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. Now, think of these words considering Judah's history. I have always loved you. Let's go back to our New Zealand example just for a moment. Imagine standing on the beautiful New Zealand countryside on a hill overlooking smaller towns. Now, imagine 90% of your family is gone. Your towns are decimated and the rebuilding projects are almost shameful in your eyes because you know what used to stood we used to stand on that land previously you look around and realize that you are vulnerable to the nations that surround you and your heart sinks every time you walk by an old church or historical building or generational family home and farm and and they are just beyond repair and imagine being in that mindset and then one of your countrymen stands up and says i have a word from god and this is what it says i have always loved you can you imagine receiving that word it could be very difficult there may even be some resentment that swells up inside of you saying how can you say that you love us look look around us look at all that's happened or perhaps that word could give you assurance thinking we have incurred god's judgment and rightly so and yet through this entire process He still continued to love us. But as we look in Malachi, in the books of the prophet, we see that he says this, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then we look in Malachi chapter 4. The Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I give him, that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This is the final message of the Old Testament. And remember, take Israel's history into mind. Think of all the messages of hope and restoration that had been declared for hundreds of years. Think of all the declarations that God made that he would make everything right, that he would would rebuild a nation. All the families that had been lost and taken away into captivity, he would supernaturally bring them back and he himself would arrive. And before he comes, an Elijah-like prophet would prepare the way. You see, 400 years after Malachi speaks these words, a priest by the name of Zechariah is performing his temple service. He's from the tribe of Levi and he was going about his normal daily routine. And as he enters into the temple, he has this encounter with an angel that tells him this, "'Don't be afraid, Zechariah. "'Your prayer has been heard. "'Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son "'and you are to call him John.'" and he will be great in sight of the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There are multiple layers of excitement in this encounter. You see, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth are unable to conceive. They cannot have children. And so as the angel announces that they will have a son, there is that initial layer of anticipation and excitement. When the angel informs them that this child will be an Elijah-like figure, that is a second level of excitement, a second tier. You see, the Jewish people knew full well the prophecies of old. And so when Elijah or when Zechariah hears the words of the angel, and that an Elijah-like figure, would come and prepare the way for the Lord, Zechariah knows exactly what is taking place. And the coming of the Elijah-like figure means that the Lord is about to appear. That's the third layer of anticipation and excitement, not only for Zechariah, but for the nation of Israel as a whole. In less than a year and a half, Jesus Christ is born in the city of Bethlehem. And in about 30 years' time, God will raise up John the Baptist, the Elijah-like figure, to prepare the way for Jesus Christ in his ministry. Jesus Christ is truly the anticipated one. Can you imagine that sense of anticipation? If you were alive during that time thinking, it's all coming together. I can't believe it's taking place. God is about to, he- about to appear. He's about to be among us. Now, we know that Jesus didn't follow the expectations of others. Many were ready for ethnic Israel to be restored, for all foreign armies and powers to be expelled out of the Holy Land. But Jesus' mission went beyond human expectation. And we won't really get into that topic today, but what I want to focus on just for a moment is this idea of anticipation. If you think of Malachi's words written 400 years before the time of Christ, You would imagine that that sense of hope that those words brought, that anticipation over time, would eventually begin to wane. As the Persian Empire allowed the Jewish people to return, Persia was defeated by the Grecian Empire, and they were brutal at times to God's people, They even profaned Jerusalem's holy places. And after Greece was defeated, could you imagine witnessing the power of Rome? Those who lived in that day must have imagined that there would not be a time where Rome did not rule the world. As time went by, I'm sure that God's people, who were so expectant of a Savior, that all of that messaging of the prophets probably began to sound like fairy tales. You know, I think of the times of old, but I think of where we sit today. The time that we live in right now is much different for many reasons, but specifically for us as Christians, we live on this side of the cross. We understand the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live in a time where the Holy Spirit fills us as believers. When we look back, we are actually experiencing a greater fulfillment of what the Old Testament writers wrote of. If you look at it this way, our reality and what we are getting to experience in our day was only an anticipation for those who lived in the past. What they anticipated, we now have the privilege to experience. You see, there is much to anticipate as we look to the future. As we look to a time when Christ returns and the fullness of God's kingdom is established upon the earth in physical form. We look forward to a time when all things will be made new and God will dwell in his fullness among his people. So we live in a time where we experience what others only anticipated, but we also live in a time where we anticipate a greater future. So, what are we to do with that? Let's go back to Malachi just for a moment. You see, in Malachi, he says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is a messenger of the covenant whom you so look for eagerly. He's coming. The Lord of Heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The instruction that is given by Malachi is all for the future. And while they waited for this future To become a reality, God's instruction to them is this. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. You see, Malachi tells his audience, while you wait with anticipation, follow the law of Moses. And now, while we wait for the return of Christ with anticipation, we are to follow the law of Christ. We know as believers, we are called to live obedient lives. But I have a question to ask aside from that issue of obedience. And my question is this, are we as Christians currently living a life of anticipation? Not only for a set time in the future, but do we have this anticipation each and every waking moment, knowing that Christ has come and that he will again return. And in this in-between space, we can have a relationship with God through the power of the Spirit. So we greatly anticipate our future glory while simultaneously greatly anticipating what God has in store for us today and tomorrow. You know, we regularly look forward to things that have no eternal value. Now, that doesn't mean that those things are necessarily wrong. It just means that they don't have any eternal value. You know, we look forward to time off from our job. And that time comes and it's great, but then it goes away. And that's it. We're back to work. There are times where we eagerly anticipate the new release of a blockbuster summer movie that we want to see with our family and friends. We go and we watch the movie and it's done. That's it. We anticipate trying out a new restaurant with our friends or with our partner, our spouse. And we eat at the restaurant and it's done. It's over. That moment is passed. We think about getting a new job. And when we finally land that dream job, a few years down the road, there's another opportunity that presents itself. And we anticipate a time where we could have a better paycheck or move up the ranks in our vocational field. Again, there is nothing wrong with looking forward to these things. But I must remind you of this. You know, today when when you woke up, if you're a believer, you woke up to the reality that you are indwelled by the Spirit of the living God. You know, when you woke up this morning, you woke up to a God who is actively working in the world around you. When you woke up this morning, you woke up to a call and to a purpose. You woke up to the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ. You woke up as a consecrated vessel able to be used by God himself. You woke up with the opportunity to have fellowship with the creator of the universe that does not sleep or slumber. And when you woke up, you had the opportunity to lead your family well. To disciple your children in the things of God. When you woke up this morning, you had the opportunity to display the wonders of an incredible Savior to the world around you. And all of those things that I just listed have eternal value. You see, right now we have a choice to make. And no one is going to make it for us. We can reframe our life around greatly anticipating the things that God has for us daily. Or we can choose not to. It's that simple. When we attempt to reframe our life and possess this life of anticipation, it doesn't mean that we'll get it right every single day or that we won't have a bad day here or there. It doesn't mean that there's no margin for error. We know that none of us is perfect. But it does mean that if we choose to reframe our lives in this way where we are anticipating God to work in our life, it means that. We have to submit to Christ's rule and reign over every part of our life. And my friends, that is definitely a challenge. Today, if you're on site or maybe you're viewing this online, you may find it difficult to greatly anticipate anything from God. You may feel like God's promises and presence are at a great distance to you. You may feel like those in Malachi's day who are returning from exile and take a look around at the life that they once had and remember the days of old only now to see that everything is wrecked. Everything has been destroyed. Some of the things that are occurring in your life are perhaps because of some of the decisions that you've made or because of some of the decisions others around you have made. But if you're in a place where you feel that God's promises and his presence are without of reach, are out of reach with you, and that there is nothing to anticipate. Can I please remind you of Malachi's words? This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. Today I pray that the reality of that truth would sink in. I pray that you would understand the love of God, this powerful love that was demonstrated through Christ. And that from that place, you would come to an understanding where you would possess this new sense of anticipation for the life that God has called you to live. As we move towards the Easter season, as we remember Christ, the anticipated one, let us renew our understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus each and every day. And allow us to keep in mind the incredible plans that await for us in the distant future. But also the plans that are available to us each and every day. May we live lives of great anticipation. Today I want to finish with a prayer. And this prayer is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Today, I pray that you have been blessed through the presentation, the Word of God, and that now, moving forward, you will live a life of anticipating each and every day the great things that God has in store for you, His people. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Odawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.odawabaptist.com.